Welcome back to our study in the book of Hebrews. First century Jews had come to faith in Christ and then the persecution broke out against them and they're scattered. They're facing all kinds of struggles. And many of them are toying with the idea of walking away from the faith. And the book of Hebrews originally came to them to encourage them to stay with Jesus. Last week, chapter 3 told us of corpses in the wilderness, and Steve taught about the spiritual hardening of the arteries, spiritual hard hearts. We pick up in the story this weekend, and I want to ask you as we begin, would you join me in prayer? Lord, you know the places we've come from, and now we're here, and we ask that you would tune our hearts and our minds, tune our ears to you, that we would hear from you. Will you speak to each one of us that we would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it's God Almighty who speaks? We wait on you. We, we ask no one else but you. And we praise you in advance. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, as we were readying for this weekend, um, Steve Fowler, I think you know him, he said, be sure to mention the Super Bowl and my San Francisco 49ers. And so now that I've done what he asked me to do, I just want to humbly urge you to root for the Baltimore Ravens later today. <laughs> just picture with me, just a few short hours from now, the teams are getting ready, and they'll both send offensive coordinators up into the press box-like environment that's up above the field. And each offensive coordinator will be able to see the whole field, goal line to goal line, and everything in between. And they'll put on a headset, something like the one I'm wearing. And as they watch the game, they'll see what the defense is doing, and they will know best. And they'll speak into that microphone, and it will go directly into the earpiece of the quarterback that represents their team down on the field. So although the quarterback may not have the vantage point that the offensive coordinator does, if he trusts what his coordinator speaks into his ear, it will likely cause him to make the plays that lead his team to victory, and it will also keep him from getting clobbered. That's pretty much the story we come to this weekend. God's word spoken to his people, but will his people listen? If the people are obedient, what they hear from God will impact the steps they take. It will impact how they follow him. It will impact what they do. We pick up in Hebrews chapter 4, which is page 1910 in the Bible located in the rack in front of you. And I'll begin in verse 1. God's promise of entering his rest still stands, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. 
for only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. There are lessons for us to learn from the past. Although many generations have come and gone since the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness, history was still full of lessons for them to learn. And the Old Testament had recorded the history and Hebrews chapter 3 reviewed it. Quite simply, the people disobeyed. Period. When God had them right on the border of the promised land, the majority of them refused to trust him enough to go into the land. It was a refusal to hear God's word and walk with him in it. They knew what God had promised them. They had all left Egypt together. And God had done many miraculous things for them. But now they faced new challenges and they listened to the scary reports of those who had scouted out the land. And most of the people crumbled in fear. They refused to believe that the God who had rescued them out of Egypt would also safely position them in the new land. The children of Israel were promised God's perfect rest, his inheritance. But most of them failed to receive it because they failed to enter the land. God's word did them no good because they wouldn't obey his word. This is the sin of hearing God's instruction but refusing to walk in the way he leads you to walk. There's a reference in our passage to the creation story, and it refers back to Genesis where it said, on the seven day, seventh day, God rested from his labors, from all his work. It wasn't because he was tired, but it was because his work was done. Everything was complete, and the rest that he was experiencing in that perfect completeness that was the rest he was offering his people but they never entered it they stopped short of it look at verse 6 with me again so God's rest is there for people to enter but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God they began the journey with God, but they stopped believing before the trip was complete. And most of them never got to the promised land. God's instruction came in their ears, but it didn't make it to their feet. They stopped obeying, and thus they didn't receive. They stopped short of what God had for them. Lessons from the past are jumping off the pages at the people who first received this. This meant something to them. 
And I wonder, as you sit here, as you think, are there times or places in your past where you knew what God wanted you to do, but you didn't do it? I can surely say there are those times in my life. We can sit around and wring our hands about them. We can keep kicking ourselves. Or we can learn from them. And rest assured, God wants us to learn. It's this amazing thing where somebody's terrible decision in the past can wind up being the really good lesson for us to learn. You and I have a huge opportunity here that we can hear God's voice and follow him with our feet. Chapter 3 gave that graphic description of the bodies, the corpses in the wilderness. But chapter 4 encourages us. God offered another chance. He wasn't a one and done. What happened in the past was behind And God offered a new opportunity for entering his rest. We pick up in verse 7. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. God didn't just give mankind one shot and then condemn them. Not at all. He established a new day. He called it today, right now. There was the offer given to the people he rescued from Egypt. And they failed to receive what he had for them because they stopped short. They didn't obey. But many, many years later, God offered Another time, and David recorded it in Psalm 95. And Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7 gives us a piece of that psalm. Today, when you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts. This idea of today, it wasn't the day that David got out his pen and wrote that psalm, but it was the idea of today. This day, Super Bowl Sunday, February 3rd, 2013, the today when you, when I, hear from God. It's addressing that prospect of this passive attitude a person can have when God speaks and they don't respond. The people who left Egypt thought they could pass on responding to God's word, and they were left to die in the wilderness. So the words of this psalm turn up the urgency meter for us. I want you to consider more fully this idea of urgency. Back a few weeks before Christmas, our friend Marie babysat for our three kids, and Nick and I got to go out alone one evening. It was great. It was just relaxing. We went to one restaurant for dinner, then we went to another place for dessert. We had a great evening. And then we come driving into our neighborhood, and Nick pulls the van into our driveway, and right then my cell phone jingles. And I look, and it's a text message from Marie, who's babysitting inside our house while we sit in the driveway. And it said, Daniel and Joshua are in bed, Sarah watching movie, enjoy your evening. 
Now, my husband turned the van off like he was going to get out and go in the house. I said, don't, don't go in. And he felt a little bit awkward because looking right in the front window, he could see the babysitter. And I said, quick, pull out before she sees us. And Nick said, where do you want to go? Take me to Target, I said. Target? It's two weeks to Christmas. I may never get another chance. Take me to Target. A mom of three young kids has an urgency about Christmas shopping. And that's one way of looking at the urgency in our passage. Here's another way to look at it. This past week, our family went through the death of our goldfish. And one day, just right there it was, floating on the top of the water in the large peanut butter jar where it had spent its brief but meaningful life. (laughs) And as I was waiting for Nick to get home and properly deal with this incident, one of my kids stood just studying the poor dead fish floating there and then said, goldfish are a lot like people. They can be swimming fine at breakfast and still be dead by lunch. (laughs) And poor goldfish jokes aside, I want to ask, did any of you know for certain that you would live this late into the day after you had breakfast? Do any of us in this room know that we'll truly make it to lunch? we really have no assurance of the next hour or the next day. And the author's point is, today when you hear God's voice, respond, because you may not see tomorrow. Life is that real. Today is all we have. And the wilderness was littered with the bodies who didn't respond when God spoke. Verse 8 brings up Joshua. He was the leader who took over the helm for the people of Israel from Moses. And he did wind up leading the next generation of people into Canaan, into the promised land. As history played out in the Old Testament, though, the people never really got their true rest there. They continued to be sinful and the enemies continued to lurk around them. So for anyone in the audience who was confused thinking that it had been accomplished under Joshua, the author reminds them, no, listen to verse 8 again. If Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So as good as it was to get into Canaan under Joshua's leadership, There was still nothing but a foretaste of that eternal rest at best. The true rest was still future. In many respects, this is the world you and I live in, like the one Joshua had led the people into. The best we get, the very best we get is a taste or a season of 
the true rest that's yet to come. Two weeks ago, I got to join 200 of our women and we went to women's retreat and it was great. There were great workshops, great sessions, great times of worship. I got to visit with friends. I ate food that other people cooked. I used linens that other people laundered. It was rest. It was relaxing. And then I returned home on that Sunday afternoon to an incredible surprise. My husband and nine friends had cleaned my house top to bottom. No more cobwebs, no dust bunnies. You could do a white glove test on the window blinds and the baseboards. Even my toilets and my carpets were cleaned. It was like I walked into a new life of leisure. It was glorious. And then about 40 minutes later, we went in to wake our kids from their naps. And unfortunately, one of them had gotten sick and there was messy, runny poop all over the sheets. So I got those sheets up off the bed and I went to the washing machine and discovered it was broken. So then I took those sheets and I went in the bathroom to where the hamper is and there was a four foot high pile of laundry. And I looked at Nick, and he said, well, the washing machine broke early in the weekend, and I didn't want to bother you with it while you were at retreat. And there, my life of leisure died at the foot of Mount Laundry. <laughs> the mention of Joshua in this passage is to remind you and me that no matter how good this life can get, it's fleeting. It's just a taste of the true rest, the true inheritance that God has for us. No matter the glorious moments, whether it's a clean house for me or whatever it might be for you, it's a glimpse at best of the true rest God has for you. And the rest that God's talking about is something out there in the future. We can learn great lessons from the past. We can better understand the imperfect nature of the present. And then what we do is we persevere obediently as we wait for the perfect rest that's yet to come. We pick up in verse 9. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest, but if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. This is a reassuring statement as well as it is an exhortation. It's rolled up in one. There is a place of perfect rest that God has for his people, but only when they go the distance, only when they complete the journey with God. Then and only then, they enter that rest that he's promised. They get their inheritance. The reality is that they and that you and I, we need to trust God to completion. We need to persevere obediently. No matter the difficulties, no matter the struggles, no matter the persecutions, the past points out that we cannot disobey God and expect to enter his rest. 
And the present points out that the best we can ever hope for on earth is a foretaste or a glimpse of what will only come in eternity. Moses didn't bring the people into God's rest. Joshua didn't bring the people into God's rest. And the wilderness was littered with the bodies of those who began with God but didn't stay with God. Verse 2 gives a sober warning. God's word did them no good because they didn't obey it. Last week, Steve walked us through that autopsy of the people who died in the wilderness. They didn't obey God to the end, and they died of spiritual hard hearts, spiritual hardening of the arteries. This weekend, our passage concludes with good health habits for those who will stay with Jesus until the journey is complete. We pick up now in verse 12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. God's word, it isn't just something printed on a page. It's his logic, his thought process. His word is the necessary agent that can come into us, into our hearts, and remove that plaque-like buildup before it kills us. The imagery of the two-edged sword, it explains how when we allow God's word to come in and have its proper place in our lives, it can separate the sinful things from the right things. I'm told that joint and marrow are closely woven together, that sometimes it's hard to tell them apart. And our inner lives can be like that too. When the sinful and the righteous try to take up residence in the same heart. Only the sharp edges of God's word can go in and reveal what needs to be removed, what needs to be cleaned up. Throughout scripture, God expresses his word and sometimes he expresses what his word actually is. And I want us to look at just a few of those now. From Isaiah, he said, I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. And from Jeremiah, does not my word burn like fire? Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? And in John chapter 6, Jesus said, and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. God's heart toward you and toward me is that we would welcome his word into our lives, that we would welcome his logic, his way of thinking. There's the power of God, and he expresses it. And then there's the reality that you and I are subordinate to it. Verse 13 says that nothing is hidden from God. Even if we try to hide it, we can't. He sees everything. 
and we're accountable to him. If the people of Israel had listened to God and obeyed him, obviously, from time to time, they would have needed angioplasty or some sort of procedure. But the occasional procedure, no matter how painful, no matter how inconvenient, beats an autopsy every time. Are you hearing the message with me? Good news does you no good unless you obey it. What place does the word of God have in your life? Does it have no place? Is it one of several good books that you pick up and refer to? Or have you given God and his word full authority over everything that you are? We all face dilemmas and situations and next steps in our lives. Maybe you're here and you're a business person or a leader and your next step finds you wrestling with ethical things. Or maybe you're a young person truly trying to decide if you'll give your future to God. Or maybe you're teetering on the brink of sexual immorality or some other sin from which you might not escape. Or maybe it's a difficult situation in your family that seems to have no end. Whatever it is, are you in the word enough to know what it says about your situation, about your life? I want to try to finish up this morning back where we began. In just a few hours, the Super Bowl will start. Two starting quarterbacks, Colin Kaepernick and Joe Flacco. I'd like you to pretend that you're one of them, and I'll let you privately choose. <laughs> but it's not the Super Bowl we're talking about. It's your life. And it isn't an offensive coordinator but it's God. He was there long before you. He has seen goal line to goal line and everything in between. He knows what's happening, and right now you step onto the field for the first time, and you're getting ready to go under center and take the snap, and all you can see is five yards into the future. And from his place of knowing all and seeing all, he speaks and it comes into your ear. His logic comes in and it might not match what you see just barely ahead. And you are confronted with a decision from the minute it comes in your ear until your next step. Will you call your own play or will you go with the one that God called? This message wasn't just for first century people who were struggling. It's a message for you and for me. Will we allow the word of God to come into our ears and take action in our feet that we will do as he asks us to do?